right. Good morning, church family. It is great to be with you guys. Awesome to worship with you on Sunday morning, Christmas Sunday morning. I, um, you know, these days like Christmas falling on a Sunday is so rare. I mean, I feel like I remember it a couple times, maybe from my childhood and always a special thing, but I am so glad to be able to um, worship with you this morning. If you are new with us this morning, I want to say welcome to you, especially. Thank you for joining us. If this is your first time here and you came on a Christmas Sunday morning, that is awesome of you. Church family, can we put our hands together and just welcome anybody who's a new guest with us today? Awesome to have you guys. Um, we also have some other special guests in the room with us this morning. Uh, that's our elementary age kids. Um, and so it's always a, a pleasure to be able to have the kiddos in with us on certain weekends throughout the year. And this is one of them. So kiddos, glad that you're in here. I thought that, uh, you know, with the elementary age students being in here, I thought I would start out telling a story about, um, about a kid. Um, back uh, 350 years ago or so in England, a young boy was born in the year 1674. Um, his parents ran a school out of his house. And so he was raised in a very academic home. Um, his, at a very young age, he, he was obviously recognized as being very um, academically gifted. He could read and speak Latin by the age of four, right? So that's pretty impressive. Uh, his parents and grandparents were especially fond of language arts and writing and poetry. So he grew up like a little wordsmith, you know, um, always uh, loving poetry. In fact, he loved poetry so much that he developed a habit of speaking in rhymes all the time. And so he rhymed so much that his dad finally got annoyed and looked at him one day and said, son, no more rhyming in the house, okay? Well, you know, he wanted to obey his dad, but he had a little lapse of memory there for a moment, and one day he started to rhyme again, and so his dad said, okay, it's time for a spanking, and he got ready to spank his son, and at just that moment, the boy cried out, oh, father, do some mercy take, and I will no more verses make, right? <laughs> now, that's a true story. Um, and this kid grew up to love poetry, you know, so much. He just, you know, he, he couldn't stop himself from, from speaking it and writing it. He became so good at poetry that his own mother didn't believe he was writing his own poems. And so out of the, he was seven years old one day and just kind of spontaneously on the blue, his mom said, son, sit down at the table and I want you to write me a poem right now. So spontaneous poem, and right there on the spot, he penned these 10 lines. They're going to be on the screen behind me. He wrote this, seven-year-old, I am a vile, polluted lump of earth, so I've continued since my birth. Although Jehovah grace does daily give me, as sure this monster Satan will deceive me. Come therefore, Lord, from uh, Satan's claws relieve me. Wash me in thy blood, O Christ, and grace divine impart. Then search and try the corners of my heart, that I in all things may be fit to do service to thee and sing thy... Wow, that's a seven-year-old boy. Like, that's some pretty impressive vocabulary. That's some pretty impressive theology for a seven-year-old boy. But if you look closely, you can also see something else. It's actually an acrostic. And the first letter of each line of the poem actually spells the boy's name. His name was Isaac Watts. All right? Now... Isaac Watts, you know, went on to become a, a very famous poet, but he was raised in a, a Christian home, um, always going to church, and one day when he was 16 years old, he was coming home from church with his parents, with his family, and he started to complain about the hymns that they sang at church that day. All these hymns aren't any good, you know, they, and uh, his dad looked at him and said, okay, well, um, if you don't like them, why don't you go write some better ones? That afternoon... Isaac Watts wrote his first hymn 
that was based out of Revelation chapter 5. His dad thought it was so good, they took it back to church for their Sunday evening service, and the pastor liked it so much that that night they sang Isaac Watts' first hymn at church that evening. Now, that's pretty impressive. Isaac Watts, um, again, went on to write many other poems and songs and, you know, hundreds of them, actually, and uh, he died in, I think, 1748 or somewhere thereabout. But before he died, he wrote a song that we are, a poem that we're all familiar with today. We sing it every Christmas season. It's the poem, Joy to the World. All right? Now, interestingly about Joy to the World, we sing it at Christmas, but Isaac Watts didn't write Joy to the World based off of any of the classic Christmas passages like Luke 2 or Matthew 1 or whatever. Isaac Watts wrote, wrote the song Joy to the World based off, go ahead and take it and open your Bible and turn there. Um, for the past month or so, our church has been in a Sunday sermon series called Christmas in the Psalms. And in that series, we've been looking at various chapters of the Psalms as we've wanted our hearts to get readied and prepared to worship the Lord this Christmas. And so today, we're going to be continuing that. We're going to focus on Psalm 98. Let me go ahead and read Psalm 98 aloud, and you can follow along in your own copy of Scripture or on the screen behind me. Psalm 98 says, O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous songs and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of a melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the world and all that dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is God's good word for us this morning. And if you're thankful for it this morning, can you just say amen? Amen. amen. Praise be to the Lord for his word. So as we've talked about all through this sermon series, we need to remember the basics about psalms. The psalms are actually songs, and songs that were written for the people of Israel to sing in their day. And just like songs have stanzas, the psalms have stanzas. And in the original language, you can see that there were originally three stanzas for this particular psalm. Verses 1 through 3 are stanza 1. Verses 4 through 6 are stanza 2. And verses 7 through 9 are stanza 3. So what I want to do is look at, as we go through this message today, is I want to look at each of those stanzas, focus on the theme that jumps out in each of those stanzas. And as we look at those, I want us to see um, really how the Lord brings joy to the world. And my prayer today is that you will indeed have the joy of the Lord in your heart as we go forward with our Christmas day. So let's look at the first stanza of Psalm 98, and we want to see the first way that the Lord brings joy to the world. Here it is. The Lord brings joy to the world first by being its loving Savior, by being its loving Savior. Verses 1 through 3 say this, O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. 
Obviously, salvation is the theme of the first stanza. It's mentioned three times, once in verse 1, then in verse 2, then in verse 3. And what we have to remember is that Psalm 98 was originally written for the people of Israel, right? For the nation of Israel. So when the psalmist writes like, you know, the Lord has done great things, the Israelites would have been able to think back on their past and say, that's right, we can remember our Old Testament history and see all the mighty things that the Lord has done. Um, when it talks about the, uh, the Lord's faithful and steadfast love, him keeping his promises to Abraham and their, their fathers, the people of Israel would have been able to say, oh, look how much we've wandered, look how much we've rebelled, and yet, Lord, you have been so faithful and loving to us through all of that. When it says that uh, God's right hand and his holy arm have, have worked salvation, Israel would have known this. Their salvation never came by their own strength. It always came by God's strength. So the people of Israel would have known God's salvation and they would have known we could have never saved ourselves. God did it. They would have quickly recognized that. Now, that kind of has to do with, with Israel, but the reality is, and what we see in our text, is that God's salvation was never intended just for Israel. It was always God's intention for all the other nations to uh, see his salvation as well. And that's why in our psalm, the psalmist writes things like this. Uh, the Lord has made his salvation and righteousness known in the sight of the nations. All the earth, all the uh, ends of the earth have seen his salvation. In other words, God brings his salvation to all peoples, right? This has been God's plan, not just for Israel, but for all peoples. And all peoples can't bring salvation to themselves, right? God has to do it. God brings salvation. Let me say it simply. It's God who gives the gift of salvation. God gives the gift of salvation, now, here's the truth about gifts, right? We all know this about gifts. Gifts send a message. Gifts send a message. A few years ago at Christmas, quick little story. On the same Christmas day, I received deodorant in my stocking. I received um, cologne. And I received a big bag of breath mints. All on the same day, right? What's the message that I was being sent? Jason, you stink, right? Like that's pretty, you need to smell better, right? The message was clearly sent. Give, send a message. Listen, when God sent the world a savior, what's the message that was being sent? The world needs to be saved. The world needs to be saved. You can't save yourself. The world needs to be saved. Um, we talk about we talk about the message of Jesus being the gospel, the good news. We talk about it all the time. But the good news will never be good to you until you've actually realized the bad news. And the bad news is that you and I need saving because we're sinners. We, in our ways, have rebelled against God. We've sinned against God. He is righteous and holy, and we have, um, in many ways, stiff-armed His will and turned ourselves against it and gone our own way. And because of our sin, we deserve the punishment of God. And you know what the Bible says the punishment for our sin is? Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. Right? We deserve to die for our sins. And that's the bad news. But on Christmas morning, praise God, we also have good news. And the good news is that the Bible says this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him doesn't have to perish but have everlasting life. The good news of the Bible is that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us, right? So the good news, God gave the gift of Jesus and that gift of Jesus sends a message, right? The message is that God loves sinners, sinners who need to be saved. God has given us the gift of a savior. That's the good news for people who have bad news on them, right? And that's what the whole Bible is all about. That's what all of human history has been unraveling to show us. That's what Christmas is all about. Remember the, the words of um, the Christmas story that our kiddos read a few minutes ago on the video, um, the, the angel speaking to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, where the angel said to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for who? All the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a, you say it, Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Guys, that's the good news. Right? God... God sent Jesus as a savior for sinners because sinners can't save themselves, right? God had to do it. Just like Israel needed God to save them, we need God to save us because why? We can't save ourselves, right? We, our salvation is not by our own strength. Our salvation is by God's strength. God is the one who sent Jesus to earth. God is the one who provided Jesus' death in the place of sinners. God is the one who raised Jesus from the dead, it's God who will open your spiritual eyes. It is God who will convict you of your sin. It is God who will open your heart to the goodness of Christ. And it is God who will cause you to repent and believe. And it is God who will bring you salvation. Salvation is by God's power, not ours. And if God has saved you, if you've been saved from your sin, what do you have? Joy. Joy, right? Because your sins are forgiven. Heaven is in your future. No matter what life brings you, you have God and God has you and he's not letting go. That is the good news. You have joy. So this morning, I hope you have the joy of the Lord. I hope you have received the gift of Christ into your life because the Lord brings joy to the world by being its what? Its loving Savior. He'll be yours if you open your heart to him this morning. That's the first stanza of Psalm 98. As we look at the second stanza, we can see the second way that the Lord brings joy to the world, he brings joy to the world also by being its praiseworthy king. Its praiseworthy king. Verses four through six are all about the Lord deserving praise, robust praise. Look at the way it says it. Verse four says, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of a horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Right? This section has such an emphasis on praising the Lord robustly, doesn't it? It says, make a joyful noise. It, it says, break forth in song, right? That's that's like unhindered, right? You're just you're just committing, like all in. I'm singing, you know. Do it with the lyre, do it with the horn, do it with the trumpets, you know. These sound make a joyful noise to the Lord. This isn't this isn't some like ho-hum, boring, we're just going to go to church and sing along and be a bunch of boring Baptists on Christmas morning like, joy to the world, the Lord has come. I'll just move my mouth, but I'm not going to make any noise so no one has to hear my voice, right? Like, none of that. The psalmist doesn't allow for that, right? The psalmist says, make a joyful noise. Um, you know, uh, this past um, week, my kids and I, we were watching the movie, uh, The Christmas Story, and in that movie, there's this part where um, the, the main character, the kid named Ralphie, and his brother Randy and their parents, they're driving home. 
from picking up a Christmas tree, and they're driving home, and they start to sing in the car. Remember this? They're singing jingle bells, and at the end, man, they're just cutting loose. Even the mom in the front is just cutting loose, and they're like, oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. (laughs) Remember that? They just all, like, they're just unhindered, singing, joyful, having fun, and uh, they just, you know, they're cutting loose, except for who? Except for dad. Well, he doesn't have his arms crossed. He's holding the steering wheel, but he's just boring, right? He is like, he's like the Scrooge of Christmas singing. You know what I'm saying? He is not cutting loose. And the psalm, the psalmist here, you know, he's saying, look, there's no room for this Scrooges of Christmas singing to be in the church. Like, go all in. Sing to the Lord. Um, I love the classic statement, right, is that the Lord calls us to make a joyful noise, right? That that doesn't mean we don't have to be, you know, it means we don't really have to be any good at singing, We can just make music with our hearts, with our mouths. It doesn't matter if it's any good. We get to make a joyful noise. Well, um, a few weeks ago, we caught something very, very special on tape. And I want to play it for you, and you can just enjoy it. Go right ahead. Ladies and gentlemen, Bobby Shell deserves a round of applause for that, right? All right. Now, when you see her, she's back there taking care of the kids today, but when you see her today, you just, just clap for her, you know? Like, just, she made a joyful noise. Here's the thing, like, we all, if Bobby can sing like that, the rest of us can sing, you know what I mean? Like, just cut loose and let it fly. We're going to sing at the end of the service today, and I hope that you'll just lift up your singing to the Lord. Um, because the re- here's, the, here's the truth. The Lord, our God, is worthy of our best praise. He is worthy of our best praise. I love how the psalmist says it, actually, in our text. He says that we are to make joyful noise before the King, before the Lord. You know, this past year, um, we honored the life of Queen Elizabeth uh, II. If you remember, she passed away earlier this year. I think it was in September. Um, And... All through her lifetime, the citizens of England would honor her and, and they would sing their national anthem, God Save the King, or the Queen in her case. And at her funeral, if you watched it on TV, man, people were just singing this song like from their hearts. They were really honoring her life while also honoring her son Charles who was stepping in to become the new king. And, and the reason why I point that out is because if you watch those moments, you saw like how much singing was coming from the heart. And here's what people know. People know that kings, and in this case, queens of the earth, are to be joyously praised. But church family, how much more so the king of heaven? How much more so the king of kings? How much more so the Lord of lords? At Christmas time, we join with those who sang praise to him on the first Christmas morning. Like when the angels opened up their voices in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, where they said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The Lord brings joy to the world, not just because he's the loving Savior, but also because he's the praiseworthy King. And at Christmas, 
we also remember this third thing, and that is that the Lord brings joy to the world by also being its righteous judge. Its righteous judge. That's what we see in verses 7 through 9 of Psalm 98. It says, Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. I wonder if you've noticed the progression in the verses of Psalm 98. It starts out with the call for Israel to praise the Lord in the first stanza. Second stanza calls for all uh, the earth to praise the Lord. And here in the third stanza, the call is for all of creation to join in his praise. It says, let the, let the seas roar, right? The rivers are to clap their hands. The hills are to sing, right? All of creation joins in the song. Why, why does creation sing for joy according to the psalmist? It's because they know that the Lord is coming to judge the earth. And when he comes, he is going to make all things right. You know, it's going to be great when there's nothing wrong with creation, isn't it? Um, ever since the Garden of Eden, the earth has been broken. Adam and Eve sinned against God, and yes, humanity was cursed from that time forward, but also the Lord said, cursed be the ground because of you, Adam. And since then, brokenness is just part of the created world that we live in. In fact, Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says that all the earth is groaning as it awaits its restoration from the Lord. So, can you imagine, church family, can you imagine a world where nothing is broken? Nothing in creation is broken. Imagine gardens without weeds. Imagine rain without floods. Imagine sunshine with no sunburns. <laughs> imagine imagine a snowfall with no freezing pipes. You know what I'm saying? Like we, I don't know if you heard about this. We actually almost had to cancel church today because last night one of our uh, pipes right out there in the hallway busted open. We had water just gushing through the whole church. So it was crazy, right? Like, but can you imagine a world where there's nothing broken in creation? Can you imagine a world where there's nothing broken among humanity? We would have nations but no wars. Ethnicities but no prejudice. Cities without crime, leaders without corruption, friendships without wounds, life without any physical pain or emotional sorrow. I mean, guys, I don't know. Can you imagine a world like that? Because that, you guys, is the world that Jesus will bring. The Bible teaches us that Jesus not only came on the first Christmas day, it also teaches that he's going to come again on the last and final day. And when he does, he's going to judge the world. And all things will be made right. He will be the righteous judge, the good judge, the equitable judge, the one who sets everything right, the one that the world longs for. That's who he's going to be. And some of you are probably coming into Christmas morning today. You're probably like really longing for that day. Because some of you have probably just had a really tough year. Maybe the the brokenness of our world, you've experienced it maybe like no other year in your life. Maybe some of you come into Christmas Day today and the things that are wrong with humanity, you've felt it. Relationships in your life are struggling. Maybe some of them are, you're wondering if they're permanently broken. For you, the good news of Psalm 98 is this. 
that the Lord who came on Christmas Day will come again on the last day, and on that day he will make everything right. The Lord brings joy to the world because he is its loving Savior, because he is uh, its praiseworthy King, and because he is its righteous judge. Now, I've been thinking about these statements about the coming of the Lord, and I've been thinking about Psalm 98. I've been thinking about the song, Joy to the World, that Isaac Watts wrote. Um, Remember the words to his song? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Let heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Guys, when will heaven and nature sing, right? When will the rocks and the hills and the plains and all of creation be restored in such a way that it can resound with joy? Guys, not at Christ's first coming, but at his second coming. No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found, right? So when will sin and sorrow stop growing, right? When will thorns no longer infest the ground? When will his blessing replace the curse of, zi- uh, of sin that we see going on everywhere in this world? Not at his first coming, but at his second coming. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. Guys, when is he going to come and he's gonna, when is he going to rule the world? When is he going to rule the world with the perfect blend of truth and grace? When is he going to rule with the perfect blend of righteousness and love? When are the nations going to come under his rule and reign and prove that? Not at his first coming, but at his second coming. My point is this. Joy to the world isn't mainly written about the first coming of Christ. It's mainly written about his second coming. So, here's the question. Why do we sing it at Christmas? Why do we sing joy to the world? I mean, we really could just kind of sing it all year round. I'm going to tell Phil we should just start doing that, right? right? But why do we sing it at Christmas? Here's why. Because joy to to the world. Because it reminds us that the Jesus who came at Christmas will one day come again. And just as Israel longed for his coming then, oh, don't we long for it now? And just as God's people rejoiced at his first coming, we who know him will rejoice at his second coming. Because here's the truth, right? Here's the truth. That baby in the manger became a man on a cross. And that man on a cross is also going to be the king in the clouds. And he's going to come and he's going to rule and reign his millennial reign on this earth. And one day when it's all said and done, he's going to wrap it all up and he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And his kingdom at that point will rule and reign forever and ever. His kingdom will have no end. So what is the call for us from Psalm 98, guys? What's the call for us from Psalm 98? Isaac Watts said it perfectly. Here's the call. Let every heart prepare him room. Let every heart prepare him room. Have you made room in your heart for Jesus this morning? Have you made room in your heart? Have you repented of your sin? And I said, Lord, I want to turn my heart away from my sin. I want to open my heart up to you. Have you had that moment in your life where you've prepared room in your heart? You've made room in your heart to receive the gift of Jesus, the Savior, that God sent the first Christmas morning. If you've received him, then you can have the joy of his salvation. And you have his joy here's what will happen. 
you'll be able to rejoice in his first coming, but you'll also be able to look so forward to his second coming. Because you know that you can praise him. Yes, one day you'll praise him as the righteous judge who's going to make all things right. And you can praise him as the praiseworthy king, deserving of your loudest song. And you can praise him this morning as your loving savior who came to save sinners like you. And you will praise him because why? Because he brings joy to the world. I hope that he's given it to you today. I hope you've received it for yourself today. Lord, we stop for a moment this morning and we thank you for Psalm 98. We thank you for the truth that it gives us about your loving, faithful heart for sinners like us. Thank you that you've given Jesus as a Savior. Lord, this morning, we also, those who know you, we long for the day when you come and set this world right. We, we say amen when the writer of Revelation says, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we recognize this morning that you, because of, of who you are, your great salvation that you have given us, Lord, you are our praiseworthy king. You are worthy of our loudest song. You are worthy of our best praise. And so, Lord, right now I want to pray two things. I pray, Lord, first of all, for anybody in this room who hasn't yet really opened up their heart to you, I pray that today they would prepare room in their heart for you and that they would receive your gift of salvation by repenting of their sin and believing in Jesus. And Lord, for those of us who do know you, I pray, Lord, that as we close out this service with singing, I pray, Lord, that we would make a joyful noise to you. You are worthy. You are deserving of our loudest song. We thank you for this opportunity to get to worship you on Christmas morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.